Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We know the last few months have been, to say the least, a learning curve. From teaching your kids at home, to figuring out video conferences, or even remembering the right way to go down aisles. We had a lot to learn, and our dealership did too. After all, our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy for our customers. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to CMA's ColonialHonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. And don't worry, we're always here to answer questions. If you'd like to complete it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we can virtually walk you through it. Or you can take any of these steps in the dealership if that's more comfortable for you. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit CMA's ColonialHonda.com. Looking for a top-tier university that is affordable? Coastal Carolina University offers more than 100 undergraduate and graduate programs designed to help you earn your degree. Visit Coastal.edu and learn more about the Coastal commitment to student learning and student-led research. Coastal Carolina University is consistently ranked as a top best value university in the South. Visit Coastal.edu to learn more and schedule your campus tour. Hi, it's the Sports King, Jamie King, and I'm here to offer you truly life-changing advice. If you or someone you know suffers from foot pain, don't delay. Take immediate action and visit the podiatry centers of Dr. Paul Ross with two offices to serve you, Bethesda, Maryland, and Springfield, Virginia. I know firsthand he changed my life and totally restored my foot. He will do the same for you. That's the podiatry center of Dr. Paul Ross. For more information, go to paulrossdpm.com. That's paulrossdpm.com. Hear ye, hear ye. It's time for the Sports King Show, live on Sports 106.1. The show with scores, interviews, the hottest topics, and the biggest sports stories of the day. It's the show where you'll hear from the players that make the plays, as well as the key coaches and personnel who make it happen. All of this and live phone calls from you, the Sports King Nation. Now, direct from his castle, located in an undisclosed location in the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, let's welcome to the throne, His Highness, Jamie King, the Sports King, on Sports 106.1. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Wednesday Hump Day edition of the Sports King Show. And right off the top, I see, uh, according to ESPN's Adam Schefter, the Cowboys not expected to reach an agreement with Dak Prescott. You heard it right here on the Sports King Show all week. I've told you the same thing. Not going to do it. Jerry Jones says, go out and prove it. You're going to take the $31.4 million franchise tag money we're going to give you. You need to be happy with it, and you need to learn to live with it. He needs to go out and earn this opportunity to get more money. Patrick Mahomes did it. You're no different. You need to do the same. You're in a situation where uh, $31.4 million, uh, that's a lot of money for one year. This thing could go into $70 million over the next couple of years, but right now you may be tagged further years but right now, you're not going to get the long-term deal until you put up the big-time numbers. It's just a fact. Jerry Jones is not paying you on what you did because 8-8 eight and eight is nothing. You need to definitely provide some results in order to get the big payday that you're seeking. Uh, of course, uh, Patrick Mahomes just got $500 million, and so Dak was thinking that might happen for him. But barring any last-minute change, Prescott will receive that $31.4 million and have to earn the rest of it. Uh, both sides have no further talks 
or plan to talk and have not negotiated in weeks. So maybe there's some hard feelings. Maybe they're not. But at any rate, there is no further discussion with Dak Prescott. I want to welcome everybody on Facebook Live as well as Sports 1061 coming up on the show today. We're going to go through the Redskins' possible name change and all the teams' uh, names out there that have been suggested. We'll talk about that. We're going to go through a lot more in terms of the NBA and some of the other top stories that are trending today. We'll talk about that in hour two. Kevin Brown, longtime friend, uh, uh, one of the greatest basketball players uh, ever in Virginia history. Uh, folks, he's number 11 all time in the history of Virginia basketball. Ranks number 11, still the ODAC Conference's all-time leading scorer. Emory and Henry College's all-time leading scorer played overseas for the Birmingham Bullets. Uh, had tryouts, uh, of course, in the CBA. A guy that uh, many felt could have gone maybe Division One. He graduated high school at 17 years of age. And uh, we'll talk about those opportunities that he had, his great career academically and as a coach, and how he's facing things now amidst the coronavirus pandemic, the situation for a high school basketball coach. He's been one of the best there. And he also coached several NFL players. We'll talk about all that and more in the 11 o'clock hour with the left-hander himself, Kevin Brown, whose jersey is retired at Emory & Henry College. Of course, one of the greats to ever play uh, college basketball will join us in 11 o'clock hour. So getting back to the Redskins, what's in a name? Well, uh, folks, uh, I have probably received uh, 500 texts from people asking me what the name's going to be. I, I wish I could tell you. I wish I had that crystal ball. I can say that uh, there's some names that are jumping out there. Of course, Warriors, everybody's talking about this. And there's some really weird things going on. I don't know if you followed the story about the gentleman last name Macaulay who went out and squatted on 44 names, basically uh, put 44 names and paid $20,000 for all these names in case the Redskins decided to eventually change their name. He thought it might be a 10-year deal. turned out to happen in five years. But now they're saying that he doesn't want any money for it. He just wanted to help the Redskins out. So it's, it's so bizarre. doesn't make any sense. Why would you spend $20,000? to go out and buy these names. He said he didn't want anybody that might hold the team up or might ask for something, so he wanted to go out and help the team. So you're going to go out and spend $20,000, sit on 44 names, in which you can make a king's ransom, but you basically don't want to do that. You just did it out of the goodness of your heart. Okay, uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, have a hard time swallowing that, but uh, maybe it happened that way. Uh you know, I guess I'm just being a little cynical here, but you think if you put $20,000 into an investment, you'd want something back. I'm just saying uh, maybe he's being uh, facetious. Maybe he's being correct. I don't know where his motivation is, but I do know that maybe the Redskins will have to deal with him on some level. As of Tuesday, it was the Red Tails, a name that I do not like in any way, shape, or form, uh, Online sportsbook Bovada listed the red tails or red clouds. Red clouds. That sucks. That's terrible. Two to one odds, followed by Warriors, then Hogs, or any variety thereof. A second sportsbook, Bet Online, has red tails at three to one ahead of Generals and Warriors at four to one. I used to coach the Generals, so hey, I, you know, I wouldn't mind that, but it doesn't really fit. Interestingly, interestingly enough, Red Wolves is not listed while garnering six to one odds at Bet Online. 
So the Red Wolves, a lot of players are saying maybe that's the name we go with. Um, uh, everybody thinks Dan Snyder likes the Warriors name. The name would uh, definitely have a link between uh, the Native American imagery that we have still, the burgundy and gold, the logo with the arrow with feathers. But some people are saying, well, you know, if you have that, you know, it's still a racist situation. It's still a bad situation. And uh, according to Amanda Blackhorse, who previously fought to cancel the Washington team's federal trademark registration, she said, if you go with the Warriors, if that's their idea, she says, have they learned nothing? So immediately before we even put the name Warriors up, if that was the name, there's already opposition to that. So when will the new name be revealed? The team has not disclosed any sort of timeline or target date for the official switch beyond Ron Rivera saying that they're still working it out. They're still sorting it out. The franchise is continuing to go by Redskins right now in the interim. The Washington Post reported this week that team's preferred name is caught up in a trademark fight. So you wonder if the trademark fight is with that gentleman, McCauley, who's sitting on all the names. Uh, of course, there's a delay in the announcement. The Snyder's in no hurry to do this. There's new merchandise that needs to be manufactured and distributed. Old logos, team names to be scrubbed from promotional and sponsor materials, of course, from the stadium itself. Inside the stadium, it says home of the Redskins. That's all going to have to be taken down. Then, of course, there's team equipment. The NFL Network, for example, reported Monday that the franchise's equipment staff has already received its equipment for the upcoming season. So here's the deal. Uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment's already arrived, ready to go with players' names and numbers and jerseys and everything. Uh, and has the old logo and jersey name, number, and all that on it. That's all going to have to be scrubbed and changed before the team can officially embrace this new deal. So... What's your take? 804-327-0888. What do you think the new name should be? What do you think it will be? Will it be something off the radar? Will it be something nobody thought about? Could it be like the Washington Monuments? Could it be uh, the Washington Presidents? I've heard the Washington uh, Senators, of course, a former name of a baseball team. Will it be something like that, uh, paying homage to the Washington, D.C. area in some way? Will it be... Uh, something uh, historic? Will it stay away from the history? Will it go back and look at something along um, the fighting aspect, like the warrior name? Of course, some people said, well, warrior could be a military warrior. It could be a Native American warrior. I mean, but that's already facing opposition. So the one thing, as I said yesterday on the show, we don't want to do is offend anybody. We don't want to continue this uh, getting it pulled after you set it up and say, hey, we're going to go with this, and then all of a sudden you have people saying, oh, no, we don't want that because uh, you're going to offend somebody in this deal. It's just going to happen. So you just hope that they can find a name that everybody can live with and everybody can move forward with. And for the folks out there that have supported this team for the last 87 years under the current name, you wonder if there's something there that we can all do and agree with that can move forward with that we'll all be happy with. So that's the situation there. Uh, in terms of the Redskins right now. There is no name. It's the Washington Football Club for now. Maybe it's the Washington Football Club for the foreseeable future. Maybe for 2020. It's a situation that is fluid. We'll keep you up to date as soon as we hear something. But uh, so many coaches out there uh, on the college football front, we're hearing more and more. Of course, Ed Ogeron, uh, good morning to Coach Ogeron, by the way. He said to um, Mike Pence. Thank you, Coach. He said to Mike Tense. Mike Pence, that uh, he wants college football to happen. He thinks it would be great for America. I agree. Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma coach, 
wants it to happen. So we're all hopeful that they're right and that it does happen. I do want to let you know some major, major news for Ben Maitland's Atlanta Braves. Yasiel Puig, of course, uh, the Braves have agreed to a one-year deal with him. Uh, the free agent outfielder has a new team for the upcoming season, Ben Maitland's Atlanta Braves. I believe Ben Maitland was in on these discussions, and he was able to pull this off. Uh, the AP cites a source with knowledge of the deal, which will become official once Puig passes a physical. The charismatic Puig, 29 years of age, spent his first six major league seasons with the Los Angeles Dodgers, finishing second in the NL Rookie of the Year balloting in 2013 and earning All-Star honors in 2014. The Cuban native split last season between the Reds and Cleveland Indians, hitting a combined 267 with 24 home runs, 84 RBI, and 19 stolen bases. So I'm going to go back to headquarters now to Mr. Ben Maitland, and I want to get his immediate reaction to this because, of course, Ben is our resident Braves fan. And Ben, as I bring you into the show this morning, your reaction to getting Yasiel Puig, a guy that is really uh, can be an emotional guy, can lead you offensively, can go on tears, can also uh, be a guy that's kind of cantankerous in the locker room, can create a little friction sometimes. What's your take? Are you happy to have him in the fold with the Atlanta Braves? Yeah, good morning, Jamie. I, my immediate reaction yesterday upon reading the news was, there's not much risk, you know, involved in bringing him in right now for a 60-game season. Depth is arguably more important right now than it is over a 162-game slate. So you can never have enough depth. Um, of course, Nick Markakis uh, decided not to play this season, so that's there's an opening there as far as on the the roster uh, for an outfield spot. I think he can slot right in to play left field um, when you factor in that they have the universal DH uh, for this season. You know, you can move Marcelo Zuna, who was the big offseason acquisition as far as the offense was concerned. You can move him to DH. You could play Puig in left. You could play Ender Enciarte in center, and then Ronald Acuna in right. That's a pretty good left to right as far as the outfield is concerned for for the team. Um, Puig really destroys right-handed pitching, not so much against left-handers, but you're going to face, I feel like, majority right-handers uh, here in this 60-game sprint. So. Why not? You know, it's hilarious to me how the whole story broke yesterday. There was a guy uh, who was, I think, in the Omni Hotel, which is right next to the ballpark uh, there at, at now Truist Park. And he saw someone who looked like Yasiel Puig walking through the lobby and got in a car and then put it on Twitter. Like, you know, maybe Yasiel's signing with the Braves. And that was like two hours before the, the news broke. So some guy on the street did the uh, the reporting job yesterday, reporting that Puig was going um, to go to Atlanta. So... I thought that was a very funny aspect of the whole deal yesterday. I'm all for it. I know, like you mentioned, he's a little bit uh, – he's his own sort, to put it that way. He's he's a mercurial, mercurial. word. Mercurial, yeah. yeah, he's um, a bit of a mercurial sort. Um, I think Vince Scully during his time with the Dodgers always called him the wild horse, and that's a, a moniker I think that stuck. Um, you know, there's, there's talk about how he is as a teammate, but, man – Again, in, in 60 games, I say, why not? You know, he I was kind of shocked that he lasted as long as he did on the free agent market, and it took until now for someone to pick him up. So sign me up. I'm all for it. Okay, Ben Maitland says uh, it's a go for the Braves, and Yasiel Puig 
Big signing for them, of course, former Dodger, now with the Atlanta Braves. And other news we're covering and looking at city officials in the NFL say that no fans will be in the stands for the Philadelphia Eagles. The Dirty Birds don't have anybody there in Philadelphia this year for 2020, citing safety concerns amid the coronavirus pandemic. This is the first team. Now, we've heard that some teams are saying we might not, we possibly could, we don't know for sure, but the Eagles have come out right now, today on the 15th of July, and said there will be no fans in the stands for any NFL game at the link in Philadelphia. The Eagles are still going to be allowed to play, although without crowds. The Phillies will continue to be allowed to play without crowds. Uh, Sounds like a great time. Managing Director Brian Abernathy said, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, we have been in communication with the Eagles. We have told them our expectations are that they don't have fans. Philadelphia Health Commissioner Thomas Farley said he believes that baseball and football games can be played under the safety protocols suggested by both leagues, but having fans in the stands would be too big of a risk. He went on to say, I do not believe that they can have spectators at those games. There's no way for them to be safe having a crowd there. He said, I can't say what the plans are for the league, but from a safety perspective, they can play games, but they cannot have fans. The Eagles have not publicly commented yet. They say we're gathering information on Philadelphia. Said NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy, who added that what happens in Philadelphia will not impact the NFL's decision uh, making for the other 31 teams. Decisions on the number of fans at stadiums will be determined on a market by market basis, McCarthy said. So here is my problem with this statement. How in the hell can the Philadelphia Eagles come out and immediately say we're not having any fans for 2020? We don't know. Let's say hypothetically next week a uh, vaccine came about and something happened where we were able to turn this around. Not saying it's going to happen that quickly, but how can they do this right now and kind of ruin it for the fans of Philadelphia before we even know? And beyond that, if you're a fan of Philadelphia, I'd be upset because let's say the link holds, uh, I'm not sure, 80,000. Let's say 80,000. Why couldn't you get 20,000 into the stadium and let them be sparsely spread out, at least get to watch some football, you get some fan activity there versus none at all? I just think this is jumping the gun. I think they need to look at this and not make a decision today. And the other thing is uh, NFL spokesperson Brian McCarthy seems like he got hit hit from broadside on this, basically saying the rest of the 31 teams are not going to be the same possibly as the Eagles. There's no communication. This is what drives me crazy. I know we're at unprecedented times, but what bothers me is the communication factor that the NFL needs to all be on the same page. You get on a Zoom call, 32 teams are there, and you say, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to proceed. These are the dates that are going to be drop-dead dates where your local government officials need to make the decisions, but you can't do it now on July 15th, and these teams aren't even together yet, and they're coming out and saying no fans already. I just think it's jumping the gun, and I think there's a way to safely bring a portion of fans I didn't say all the fans, but a portion of fans. I think Eagles fans, if you get 15,000, 20,000 people to a game safely six feet apart, they could pull that off with mass, maybe something like that. But right now, to just say no fans, I just think is not good at all. I do want to let you know on the political front last night, but also on the football front ex-college football coach tommy tuberville when the uh he won the alabama gop senate runoff with jess sessions of course uh former college football coach of uh auburn uh defeated u.s attorney general jeff sessions the former u.s attorney general in tuesday's alabama republic senate runoff 
Familiar to Alabamans for decades of in, uh, at uh, Auburn University, head football coach Tuberville, 65, is positioned with a strong challenge against Democratic uh, U.S. Senator Doug Jones with Alabama's strong GOP tilt. The seat is widely viewed as a Republican's best chance to pick up a seat. It's going to be a contentious deal there, but Tommy Tuberville, uh, who battled Sessions 73, basically had a great uh, campaign, and uh, here he is as a former football coach jumping in the political forum and uh, we wish him well but uh, a big win last night for tommy tuberville the former auburn coach we saw that that was uh, something that kind of jumped out at us in terms of a story but uh, when you look at the overall picture getting back to the major league baseball situation we're seeing a lot of the games right now a lot of the practice sessions and it just to me uh, when you see you know guys running around nobody in the background it's like batting practice before anybody gets to the stadium that's how the games are going to look unfortunately it's a situation that is uh, you know it's not good but it's one of those things where we have to take it at face value and say hey this is what we're going to go through right now for the foreseeable future and it's a situation that unfortunately is what we're dealing with at this current uh, day and time. But once again, Major League Baseball trying to get it together and trying to get it together as quickly as possible for, as I said, uh, Ben just mentioned, uh, about a week away, we're ready to go with Major League Baseball, the return without fans. Uh, On the football front, the Cleveland Browns are finalizing a massive five-year deal extension worth $125 million with star pass rusher Miles Garrett. The league source confirmed to ESPN the deal is not done yet. Both sides are said to be close. The deal, which is worth a total of $144 million over seven years, would make Garrett the highest-paid non-quarterback in the NFL. Garrett entered the offseason with two years on his rookie contract after the Browns picked up his fifth-year option. Garrett, 24, is expected to sign the contract as early as today. After passing a physical yesterday, a source told ESPN, the NFL Network first reported Tuesday the deal was imminent with the 2017 number one pick out of Texas A&M. It was Garrett who had 10 sacks in 10 games last season, but he was suspended, if you remember, the final six games of the season for hitting Mason Rudolph with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, with his own helmet during a skirmish at the end of their game on November 14th. In this game, Garrett is very fortunate. He could have killed killed Mason Rudolph. That's how dangerous it was, swinging a helmet at a guy with no helmet. If you hit somebody the right way, you could literally kill somebody. Fortunately, he hit him flush in the head, and, and how... Uh, uh, basically, Mason Rudolph did not get knocked out. I don't know, but uh, he obviously uh, went through that suspension. He's been a dominant player. That was a big blemish on his career. Hopefully, he bounces back from that. Uh, of course, after the game, nothing was said about anything, about why it occurred. Obviously, it looked like there was a friction between the two. Then days later, he drew ire when he said that it, uh, he said some racist things to him. And this was a few days after the event. It didn't happen immediately, which many people were wondering why you know, it didn't happen after the game itself, but Miles Garrett signs a major deal here. He's been a dominant pass rusher since entering the league, ranking fourth in sacks at 0.82 since 2017, according to ESPN stat information. He is a player that has a ton of talent, and if he ever lives up to this talent, he's a guy that can do great things for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, five-year, $125 million extension, making him the highest-paid defensive player in annual salary in NFL history. And uh, he is a guy that definitely can do the job in a big way. And it's a situation that Cleveland is very happy to have him under contract, and I think this is a major step for them. We're going to take a timeout. 
come back. And, of course, in the 11 o'clock hour, we'll be joined by the number 11 all-time leading scorer in Virginia college basketball history. We are excited to bring Kevin Brown on the show in the 11 o'clock hour. You're listening to Sports King on a Wednesday morning. We'll be right back after these messages. Hi, this is actor Matthew Rauch. I played Burton on the hit series Banshee on Cinemax. You are listening to my friend, Jamie King, the Sports King, who told me I'm welcome on his show anytime, as long as I keep my glasses on. Welcome back. You're listening to a man who is cooler than the other side of the pillow. It's the Sports King on Sports 1061. Welcome back, everyone. Wednesday edition of the Sports King Show. Coming up, 11 o'clock hour, Kevin Brown. And Big Al wanted to know, was it Kevin Brown, the Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher? He was excited, thinking I had him. But no, this would be the left-handed basketball player, not the pitcher for the Dodgers of the same name. So just setting the record straight. Not that we couldn't get Kevin Brown, the pitcher for the Dodgers, the former pitcher, but... We've got the left-handed Kevin Brown, the basketball player today, and he had an amazing career himself. I do want to talk a bit about Cam Newton. Of course, Cam Newton is very upset. He says he's ticked off, and he wants to prove some things. He said that replacing Tom Brady is like the elephant in the room. He's not happy right now. He's feeling he's disrespectful. Uh, being disrespected in so many ways in terms of what's going on with people talking about him coming there and what he can and can't do. Let's hear it from Cam himself. Here is quarterback Cam Newton of the New England Patriots on being disrespected. Okay, now I'll be the first person to tell you, these last two years I haven't been putting the best film on tape. Mm -hmm. That's That's just honest. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, there's other people that's been putting film out there that's getting picked up and I'm like whoa okay not even picked up they got the starting job you know what I'm saying like I'm like I'm feeling disrespected like I'm feeling like bro because every team at one point had to say okay fellas Cam Newton what do we think uh pass see a lot of teams passed on Cam Newton I wouldn't have been one of them as an evaluator of talent I'm looking at this from a standpoint of Cam Newton is a guy, when he's right, can be as good as any quarterback out there. The guy can throw it a mile. He can run like a deer. He can make plays all over the field. When he's 100%, I'm all in on Cam Newton. He's 31 years of age, still a young guy, signed a one-year deal with the Patriots. So from the Patriots' standpoint, it's pure genius. You've got a guy that has – a burr in his saddle. He has something stuck in his crawl. He's upset. He wants to prove himself to everyone. He's finally healthy. So a healthy Cam Newton, we've seen what he can do when he is healthy. He led a team to a Super Bowl. He's got the ability. He's a playmaker. He's hard to tackle. He is elusive, has a strong arm, a smart guy that can make plays. In this offense with Josh McDaniel, I can see him really taking off in this offense when you're able to look at a Josh McDaniel and you say, hey, here's a guy that wants to prove he can do it without Tom Brady. Bill Belichick wants to prove he can do it without Tom Brady. 
and Cam Newton wants to prove that he can be as good as Tom Brady in that offense, he's coming there really with something to prove. If he can put all the other stuff and all the other noise outside away from him and just focus on being the best player he can be, he could dominate. He could be a guy that could take New England a long way. Now, do you add Cam Newton? Does it immediately work? And is he the guy that leads him to the promised land? I'm not saying that, but I'm saying conversely, he could be somebody that could really catch fire with that team in the right setting and really take them uh, a lot farther than people may believe. He has something on his shoulder called a chip, a major chip, and he wants to prove people wrong. And he said in the past, like he did today on the tape you just heard, that the last two years he's not put his best film on tape. He's just being honest. He's a, But at the same time, he looks around the league, he sees all these other different quarterbacks being signed to big deals, and he's being disrespected by signing the one-year deal. So when he first met with Bill Belichick, he basically got it done. He said, I'm going to go there, I'm going to be your guy, and I'm going to make it happen. So you've got Jarrett Stidham, the quarterback, many people think may be the starter there to start with. But if Cam goes in, has a very solid uh, preseason uh, as far as training camp with New England, you think he would leapfrog him. Of course, Stidham knows the offense, Newton doesn't. But if Newton gets it down... If all things are considered equal, you have to go with a veteran. I would go with a veteran that's healthy versus a kid that you don't know a lot about. Cam Newton has a body of work where you can say, okay, we know what he can do when he's 100%, and now that he is, I think the New England Patriots could have got a steal with this deal getting Cam Newton, a guy that really has a tremendous upside when he's 100%. A lot of people may not like some of his antics, some of the things that he does on the field. I look at him. As an effusive guy, a guy that loves to have fun, uh, of course, he scores touchdowns. He looks for kids in the stands. He likes to be that big kid out there and have as much fun as he can. Some people don't like that. They don't think he's as serious as he should be all the time. I look at him as a playmaker, a guy that when he's 100% is a guy that could lead you a long way. So I wanted him in Washington. I went on record saying I wanted him here. I thought he could have been a great guy in the quarterback room, a guy that could have really helped the development of Dwayne Haskins Jr. Right now, you enter now with Dwayne Haskins Jr. and you enter with Kyle Allen, so you don't know really what you have from a quarterback standpoint in the nation's capital for the Washington Football Club to be named something we don't know yet. So anyway, that's my take on Cam Newton. But when you look at it, he is definitely – he has a lot of gas left in the tank. He's a guy that can still get a lot done. So you cannot discount Cam Newton and what he can bring to the table. Lamar Jackson, the quarterback for the Baltimore Ravens, was very upset after learning about his Madden 21 rating. Of course, many players aren't are happy to get the 99 overall rating. Patrick Mahomes, Aaron Donald, Stephon Gilmore, Christian McCaffrey, very elusive, um, a very small club. It's very... Uh, let's put it this way. If you're in that club, you're the, the best of the best. And you've got Mahomes, Donald, Gilmore, Christian McCaffrey. They all receive their 99 pendants in the mail. They're wearing those necklaces now that say 99. Every player thinks they deserve a better rating. But you're looking and talking about the rating MVP of the NFL. The Ravens quarterback joined SportsCenter on Monday to reveal his Madden 21 rating. Jackson, who's on the cover for the season on the Madden 21 game, basically has a rating of 92. Uh, so he's very upset and saying, hey, I'm scratching my head. I don't know why this is. 
why will it be 92? Why is it not 99? This guy was the MVP, and he got a 92 rating. Uh, Jackson wasn't happy to hear about it. He expected to have a 96 or 97 rating. He said after a legitimate shock of the 94 rating set in for this year's game, he offered some perspective. He said, I wish it was better, but, hey, it's better than it was last year. Plus, I'll have an opportunity to build on the rating with in-season updates. It's not that bad, Lamar. You can definitely overcome this and strive for the 99. But when you look at the 99 ratings, uh, don't know if you agree or not, uh, but Patrick Mahomes deserves it. Aaron Donald deserves it. Gilmore, um, not sure about him. McCaffrey definitely can do everything. He deserves it well. So very small uh, exclusive club there of 99 rating players for Madden. But uh, I thought Jackson's number would have been a lot higher based on what he did last year with an MVP year. But it did not occur for him. So uh, what's your take on that? Does Jackson deserve the 99? Give us a call, 804-327-0888. Do you feel and do you agree that the guys at the top, Mahomes, Donald, Gilmore, McCaffrey, are guys that are 99-type players? I agree with that. Uh, Gilmore would be the only one that I would question a little bit. But when you look at the overall situation, I think the Madden folks got it right. want to let you also hear about the baseball player that they call Chuck Nasty, Colorado Rockies all-star Charlie Blackman, of course, he has been dealing with the coronavirus, and it's been a setback for him, but not as bad as maybe as it could have been. It's one of those situations where uh, Blackman has been dealing with the symptoms, and the symptoms have been bad, but uh, as many people have said, maybe not as bad for him as uh, other people. Uh, he went on record talking about that. We've got a cut from Charlie that he's going to talk about the coronavirus and what it's meant to him so far. It only lasted for about 36 hours, and, and I would consider it mild compared to the flu. I, I had the, the flu proper a couple years ago, and I thought that thing was going to wipe me out. And, and, you know, I'm lucky that my COVID experience was not nearly as severe, and I know that it, it does affect everybody a little differently, but I would consider the symptoms that I felt to be minor. So minor symptoms for Chuck Nasty, Charlie Blackman of the Colorado Rockies. And here's the thing about this COVID that I question, I ask. Uh, it's affecting different people differently. You know, of course, they're talking about, and I was looking at the uh, millions of people in California, and they've had zero deaths for young children. Thank God for that. Uh, but when you look at it, the effect on the younger aspect, the younger children has not been as severe as people of a certain age or certain weight category, underlying issues health-wise. So different people, and when you look at these world-class athletes like a Charlie Blackman to have mild symptoms, it's just funny how I'm wondering, and they talk about the different blood types out there, whatever your blood type is, it may not be as affected to one person to the next. So you wonder about that. You wonder about somebody's weight, somebody's uh, medical histories. All these things are uh, factored in. Uh, if you're an African-American, they say is the potential that uh, it could be a stronger strain for you than it would be maybe for somebody else of a different ethnicity. So there's all kinds of factors, weight, underlying issues. Uh, so when you look at world-class athletes not being affected as greatly, you wonder uh, basically is it because they're in such great physical condition. Is that the reason or is it maybe something from a – hereditary standpoint, I mean, their background, all those things uh, in blood type. I mean, we wonder all those situations uh, are coming into play. We don't know enough, but we're learning more and more 
about it as we go along. So Charlie Blackman is on the man that's good to hear. In the NBA, the Houston Rockets and their guard James Harden arrived Tuesday at NBA's Walt Disney World Resort five days after his team flew to Orlando, Florida. Isn't it amazing how some of these stars, uh, you know, when you're one of the leading scorers in the NBA and you can do your thing and show up when you want, hey, coach, I'll be there five days after everybody else. You know, that's just the way I do it. The Rockets have not disclosed a reason for Harden's delayed arrival. I can give you the reason. He pretty much does what he wants with that team. Russell Westbrook, Houston's other all-star guard, we now announced on Monday has the uh, coronavirus. He's tested positive for that. That was before the Rockets departed for Orlando. The Rockets hope that Westbrook, who must test negative twice before he'll be cleared to enter the NBA bubble, will be able to travel at some point this week. A Rockets source told ESPN on Tuesday there's no set day for Westbrook's travel. Of course, these are situations you wonder about because the travel situation and the players getting tested beforehand and then getting tested when they get there, hoping they don't come in contact with anybody. The one thing the NFL is talking about, and we talked about it yesterday on the show, there has to be testing in place. I think to have any successful season in any sport, we're going to have to go to the test today and result today. Test today, result today. Test tomorrow, result tomorrow. If you can do that every day and they keep coming back negative, 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 and you can do this in the 15-minute time frame for every player, it's going to be costly, but the NBA owners can afford it. But let's find out if the Major League Baseball, the NFL, and, of course, all the top sports, NHL, everybody can be protected if we get tested today and the results are found out just a 15, 20 minutes later, when it gets to that point, it's going to be a lot easier because the minute somebody is not uh, negative, you can put them in quarantine and get them off the court, get them back to the hotel and put them away for 14 days and hopefully restart again. But we have to have the same day testing. That's the only way I see from this whole situation that it can work. Now, I do believe right now on July 15th, the NFL, Roger Goodell is not going to stop. He is going to have a season. With fans, without fans, we don't know yet. But they will play this year. I promise you that. It would take uh, something beyond this for Roger Goodell to stop. He's not stopping the NFL. So I know that. College football, not so sure. We're hearing different conferences. Yes, I'll play. No, I won't. Maybe I will. I'm not sure yet. So, so much uncertainty on the college front, but the NFL is going to happen. NHL looks to be starting up. That looks like it's going to be fine. Major League Baseball, of course, next week we're getting underway. We're excited about that. But it's going to be different, and it's going to take some getting used to. But the bottom line is the more testing, the better for these players. They have to be tested. It has to be a protective thing in place, and that's where we're moving forward. And I think that's where college football is missing the boat because there's not enough communication and there's not enough talking about the testing aspect on what they can do to make everybody universally safe. Right now it's conference by conference saying we'll do it or we won't. So we're going to follow that for you as well. Going to take a timeout right now. Coming up at 11 o'clock hour, Kevin Brown, the left-hander, of course, Emory and Henry's all-time leading scorer and number 11 all-time in the state of Virginia in history. I'm telling you, there have been some great players, some guys that play in the NBA, and he's number 11 on that list coming up as the Sports King rolls on this Wednesday morning. Hi, this is Mark Mosley of the Washington Redskins, NFL MVP in 1982. You're listening to my friend Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. Our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy. So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. 
CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. With 19 NCAA Division I sports and 84 majors, Coastal Carolina University affords student-athletes the competition and learning they crave. From FBS football to ladies volleyball, from championship baseball to ladies lacrosse, from business to theater arts, Coastal Carolina University offers a depth of learning both on the field and in the classroom. Eager ambition is a hallmark of students and faculty at Coastal Carolina University. Schedule a tour and learn more at coastal.edu. Sports King Nation, want to take part in the show? Here's your chance to call the studio line. 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. And welcome back. Wednesday edition of Sports King internationally. Hello, London, England. Sacramento, California. Nebraska City, Nebraska, hello. Orlando, Florida, hello. Somerville, South Carolina, hello. Nashville, Tennessee, hello. We welcome you back to the Sports King Sports 1061 Facebook Live. Thank you for joining me. And I was thinking about this. Miles Garrett, great player. But who would you rather have? And I'll open the phone lines up for this in the final few minutes. I want Khalil Mack. I have gone on record. I love Khalil Mack. I think he's the best defensive player in the game. Uh, I would take him over Miles Garrett. What about you? 804-327-0888. 804-327-0888. Of course, Miles Garrett just signed a five-year, $125 million extension for the Cleveland Browns, but I will still take Khalil Mack, who is a one-man wrecking machine, and he does amazing things and has for a long time. I want to let you know that the NFLPA seeks opt-out clause for for the at-risk players, uh, conditional stipends. Uh, Basically, this according to Jeremy Fowler, the NFL and the NFL Players Association continue to negotiate terms for return to work, and players are requesting financial backing in case they decide to sit out for the season. Among the requests in the players' recent proposals to the league, according to a source involved, include an opt-out clause for at-risk players to receive salary, but not bonuses if they decide not to play. An opt-out clause for players with at-risk families to earn an accrued season and benefits if they decide not to play an opt-out clause for players who leave the team after reporting terms uncertain a $250,000 stipend guaranteed to all players that they show up to camp and everything is shut down because of COVID-19 concerns that amount rises to 500,000 if the season starts only to be shut down so folks that's a lot of money per player 250 if it shuts down before 500k if it starts down Uh, starts up and then they shut it down. That's a lot of money lost if this COVID-19 shuts the season down. So that's definitely something Roger Goodell and all ownership do not want to be a part of in any way, shape, or form. That would be major league costly. Add that up, uh, 32 teams, every player there. Ben, I'm going to let you put the numbers there. Thirty-two. If you take 32 teams times 53 players times, let's say, 250,000 or 500,000, you don't have to be a math major to figure that out. It's a lot of money. The definition of at-risk is part of the discussion, and procedures for applying for medical opt-outs are not finalized. 
If a player is serving a suspension and the season is canceled, the games and serve will not carry over into the next season. So basically, that is something that is going to be a benefit to the players. The league's June 7th memo listed the following considerations for high-risk individuals. As I said earlier, if you're African-American, you're Hispanic, or if you're a Pacific Islander, you're high risk. If you have a a body mass index BMI of 28 or greater, you're at high risk. If you have sleep apnea, which many of the offensive defensive linemen have, you're at high risk. If you have hypertension, you're at high risk. If you have altered immunity, you're at high risk. If you have any type of diabetes, diabetes 1 or 2, you're at high risk. Get cardiac disease, you're at high risk. According to ESPN's Dan Graziano, players also want no salary in escrow for 2020 and no reduction in the 2021 salary cap despite projected revenue loss, which they would prefer to spread out over multiple years. The league's initial ask to place 35% of this year's salaries in escrow is considered a non-starter, not going to happen. A source told Graziano that no further conversations between the NFL and NFLPA are scheduled for Wednesday after the sides talked to each other for the past two days. Several issues remain unresolved. Players want testing every day, as the Sports King said, is got to happen every day, and the results have to be given every day. Uh, that's going to have to happen. There's no preseason games, which I am definitely against. They have to have at least two. How are you going as a former coach? How am I going to tell if that backup running back or that special teams guy that I've been looking at and practice against each other, how is he going to do when the lights are on? How is he going to do against another team? As I've gone on record saying, I've had coaching friends tell me this. Always makes me laugh. Always makes me smile when I hear the saying, Coach, yeah, he's a good-looking player in practice, but he couldn't play dead in a Western when it comes to game time. So whenever I hear that, I laugh. But it's a great line, and uh, one of those things where Sam Huff, the former great linebacker who I had dinner with many years ago, told me, he said, Jamie, you know what? I went with so many guys that had great practices, but as soon as the lights flipped on, they hid. They went under the bench. They could not play when the lights came on because they're just practice guys. Upon returning to a camp, players want a a lengthy acclimation period uh, basically before beginning full practices to avoid injuries and get comfortable in the new working environment. Both sides must decide whether trimming the 90-man training camp rosters to avoid unnecessary uh, situations in terms of contact. Uh, That's something that they're working on in terms of the 90-player aspect, but they're working on this in terms of uh, Graziano is basically talking about the training camp uh, with 90 players because they've got so much to get through. And it, it's just a lot of contentiousness right now on the 90 player aspect because if they, uh, they're they trying to get to 53, but you have to avoid unnecessary contact and the equipment front is another disaster they're working through. They've worked with Oakley on a protective face shield. J.J. Watt, of course, from the Texans said, if we have a face shield, I don't want to play. Uh, Some players don't want to play with face shields. They just think it limits their breathing, and they can't do it as well. But now the officials that are calling the games are all going to be wearing, uh, you know, some masks. So that's going to be something. You imagine running around in that heat with a mask on. A lot of people can't go to a grocery store with a mask, but these referees are going to have to run around for three hours with a mask covering their face. That's going to be tough in the heat and the extreme weather that some of these games are played in. Uh, Players are lukewarm on a protective face shield. Both sides want camp and want to play, so the goal is to get there, survive the likely initial wave of positive tests, and manage expectations from there. They want to get all 16 games on TV. That's the main goal. 
If there are no fans in the stands, the league standard for all 32 teams would be for fans to wear face masks if they do get to go to the games. The league is hoping that teams can have fan days with social distancing inside stadiums for training camp. So when you look at this in totality, if you're a fan, you go to a game, you have to wear a mask. Uh, it's going to be a little tough to drink the beer under the mask, maybe get the straw. That's an idea. Or maybe a zipper where you can open it up to put a hot dog in. I don't know. Just talking out loud. But this situation for the fans, it's going to be tough for a fan and a family to sit there with little kids with face masks on. The little kids sometimes get overheated, and that's another mess. I mean, I, I'm just telling you, there's got to be something done to help the fans if the six-foot social distance aspect's not going to work if they're going to make every fan that goes to an NFL game wear a mask for the entirety of the game, sometimes overtime, three-plus hours, that's going to be a tough ask for the fans. I think fans are going to get overheated. I think it's going to be – and then you know out there listening that uh, when you've worn a, a mask, I know I have when I'm going out 80, 90-degree heat and you're sitting there and all of a sudden you want to pull the mask away from your face, you want to lift it up, you want to get some fresh air – it's not healthy to breathe that in for long periods of time. It wasn't meant to be that way in terms of a mask and you're recirculating your own air. Then the other aspect I've heard about is when your mask gets moist and wet inside, you have the opportunity with, of course, all kinds of bacteria and situation. It's just a mess. So I just don't think the fans wearing masks for three hours for games, if it has to be done, I guess it can be. I don't expect fans to want to do that. I mean, let me ask you this. Would you rather stay home, watch a ball game, be able to have your snacks and watch a game and enjoy it or go to the actual event and wear a mask for three hours and maybe not uh, be able to drink or eat or do any of the things you want to do comfortably and have your family complaining because they're overheated because of the mask? I mean, I'm just seeing a lot of issues growing and developing with this fan wearing masks for three hours. It's a tough ask. Now, could you sit six feet away from me and maybe feel comfortable in doing it in an open air environment? Yeah, I think we could do that. I think we could get through it, but it's a situation where uh, it's going to take some getting used to. I just I feel bad for the referees. If you've ever seen referees and games running up and down the field, it's a long, long game for them, and they're going to have to have masks on the entire time. That's going to be tough for them, and I hope they're practicing that because under these conditions, it's going to be hard for an NFL referee to go three hours or any of these guys. I wonder if the NHL is going to do it. I wonder about Major League Baseball. if They're going to have to wear masks behind the plate, things like that. It's not easy to do, but uh, we're going to have to find out. And it's a fluid situation we're following. Going to take a timeout. Coming up next, the left-hander, Kevin Brown, not the pitcher from the Los Angeles Dodgers. The other Kevin Brown, the left-hander from Stafford, Virginia, of course, did great things at Emory & Henry College, number 11 all-time scorer in college basketball history in the state of Virginia. He's going to join us. We're going to learn a lot about his career and a lot about the man that is now a basketball coach and one of the most respected coaches in the high school arena. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sports King on Sports 1061. Hi, sports fans. This is national high school recruiting football expert Tom Lemming. You may have seen me in the movie The Blind Side. You are listening to a guy I've given the five-star rating to. It's Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. We know the last few months have been, to say the least, a learning curve. From teaching your kids at home, to figuring out video conferences, or even remembering the right way to go down aisles. We had a lot to learn, and our dealership did too. After all, our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy for our customers. 
So when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. And don't worry, we're always here to answer questions. If you'd like to complete it all online and you're not sure about something, give us a call and we can virtually walk you through it. Or you can take any of these steps in the dealership if that's more comfortable for you. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. You're listening to a man whose future is so bright, he's got to wear shades. The Sports King on Sports 1061. And welcome back, everyone. Wednesday edition of the Sports King Show. And I want to set the record straight. I know Big Al thought this morning we were having Kevin, or actually James Kevin Brown. See, James Kevin Brown is a former Major League pitcher for, among others, the New York Yankees, Los Angeles Dodgers. We're having the other Kevin Brown on. The basketball legend himself, the left-hander from Emory and Henry. And that's Kevin Christopher Brown, KCB. So James Kevin, Kevin Christopher, of course, the one Kevin Brown went on to great things with the Yankees and Dodgers. And, of course, Kevin Brown that we're having on momentarily is a huge Dodger fan. So I'm sure he wouldn't mind if we had the other Kevin Brown on with him at the same time. So I could have dueling Kevin Browns. Maybe that's something I'll do for a future show. But I do want to let you know, in speaking about uh, Kevin Brown, uh, our guest coming up momentarily, uh, had a four-year career at Emory & Henry. He wrote and rewrote virtually all of the scoring records and most of the conference records. In his first season as a basketball player at Emory & Henry in 1984, he was a top freshman scorer among all small college teams in the country. He was awarded the team's most valuable player recognition his freshman and sophomore years at Emory & Henry. He was nationally ranked in one or more offensive categories in each of his four years at the college. 1985, his sophomore year, he was recognized with the All-American Honors. 1986, who was named ODAC Player of the Year and received numerous all-conference, all-region honors during his career. He set the record for scoring with 2,322 points, 11th all-time in Virginia history. In terms of every player that's ever played in the history of Virginia, he ranks 11. He was in the top 10, of course. He's been bounced out, but his record was there for a long time. 2-3-2-2, the all-time record that he set. He also set records for high-scoring average, 23.2 points per game, career field goals, 882, most free throws in a single game, 21. He set three other records, including most points in a season, 703, highest-scoring average, 28.1, and most field goals in a season, 264. Kevin Brown continues to hold a national record for free-throw shooting. The national record for shooting, having averaged 85.9 point uh, in terms of percentage accuracy over his entire collegiate career. At the conclusion of his stellar senior year, Brown's jersey number 24 was retired in honor of his many accomplishments at Emory and Henry College. After graduating in 1987, he was drafted by the Charleston, West Virginia Gunners to play professionally for the Continental Basketball Association, trying to get to the NBA. Such a tough climb there. He went on to play and was recruited to play for the Birmingham Bullets in England. Of course, after that, he went on to a stellar career coaching at Garfield High School. He also was at Hilton and ended up uh, at North Stafford 
and Mountain View High School, where he is currently. He's been there for quite a long time. And joining us now on the line is that left-hander that we're talking about, Kevin Brown, not the Dodgers pitcher, but the left-hander. Uh, of course, uh, many folks thinking we're having the Dodgers pitcher on. You would have minded that because that's your, that's your guy, right? Jamie, first of all, thank you for having me on. I'm a big fan of your show. Uh, yes, I bleed Dodger blue. Love the Dodgers. <laughs> well, when we look at your career, and we're going to go back in time, uh, the things you did at Emory Henry, and now it's been years since. Of course, you've been over 20 years as a stellar basketball coach, and we'll talk about that. But when you go back to your four-year career, of course, uh, your mom and dad going down there with you and, of course, experiencing Emory and Henry, what made the place special to you when you first got there? And what sold you on playing down there at Emory and Henry? Well, it all got started in um, my JV coach, Tom Rudisil, who actually went to the college and for years was in charge of the alumni. He was the one that really actually first introduced me to the college, and that kind of got the ball rolling. And then Coach Bob Johnson, legendary coach, um, you know, great coach. I played for him for four years. He came and recruited me when I was at North Stafford, and I went down for the visit, and I really liked the place. It was small in a beautiful area of the state. It's down in southwest Virginia, right near the Virginia and Tennessee border. And, you know, the people were real friendly. Uh, the players that I met on the, my recruiting trip were very welcoming. Um, you know, Coach Johnson said I'd probably have an opportunity to play right away, which, you know, as an incoming freshman, you don't always get that that opportunity. So that, that helped. And, you know, I was young when I graduated high school. I was just turned 17, I'd skipped a grade, so I hadn't really matured physically. I was you know, pretty thin as a high school senior, and um, I was able to go down there and put on some weight. And, uh, but it was just a beautiful, beautiful campus, beautiful people, and um, I couldn't speak more highly of a school. When you look at your career, of course, you just said it. You graduated 17, you skipped that year academic All-American. You've done everything in terms of academics, and we can talk about that. You've taught math. I mean, brilliant math mind. But when you look at your situation at 17, many people have stated through the years, had you been given that one extra year, had you been able to physically develop and had more time, uh, that maybe uh, you could have gone to a D1, D2 program, maybe a higher-ranked situation because it took you, as you said, that extra year, which was a perfect spot for you down there. But do you regret or do you look back and say, you know, if you could rewind the tape, would you go back and give yourself that extra year of development? Well, if I had that extra year, I just would have went to the NBA. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't regret anything. Um, You know, academics is always a high priority for me. And I knew that the college was a great school academically, so I knew I was in good hands there. Like I said, I had a great experience there, played for a great coach, played with some great people, um, and, you know, I wouldn't trade that experience for anything. You know, one thing that I've always admired about you is your parents. We've talked about them for so long, uh, your mom, Lucy, your dad, Whitley, um, down in Florida now, and your dad, of course, I remember one time I stayed at your house, and at 4 o'clock in the morning I heard somebody whistling, and I said, uh, hey, man. <laughs> Who's that whistling? And you said, hey, that's my dad. He's he's uh, getting ready for work. And I said, yeah, but it's four something in the morning. Who whistles then? But he said, 
<laughs> something that always stuck with me. You were talked about your dad, how much you revered him for his work ethic, his drive, his dedication, and your mom, who always uh, has always stood behind every one of her children uh, in every way, shape, or form. Has been at every. It's one of those things when you look at parents and you say, "Hey, that's the parents you'd love to have," because they never missed an event. They were always there for you guys at every turn. Can you speak to both of them in terms of not only your dad's work ethic and your mom's support, what they've meant to you in your career? Because uh, everybody says, you know, growing up, you have to have that support unit. Can you talk about what they meant to you then and now in terms of uh, not only as a player, but as a coach now? Well, it's funny you mention that. And, you know, back when we were at that age, we were probably just going to bed when he was was getting up. (laughs) But, you know, yeah, you're exactly right. My parents were always real supportive. They came to all the games. Uh, they kept everything positive. My dad didn't say a whole lot. You know, my dad spent over 30 years working for the FBI, and you know, it was always putting his family first. You know, didn't didn't want a whole lot of things. You know, material things for himself. He'd rather provide for his family. My mom was always. You know, there to give us, you know, food, which was important for us. <laughs> we kept, um, and they were just, you know, I couldn't ask for better parents. And, and just so glad that they're still around and we get to visit them every year and get to talk to them and uh, just love them. And, of course, your sisters, uh, your three sisters, and it's got to have been hard to – no brothers there. And, of course, uh, uh, you got great support from all of them and uh, just a, a tight-knit family. And I felt that one of the great things that you always had was you always had that great built-in fan uh, fan group from your family that always supported you at every turn. I know you've always said how instrumental that was in the support you received from your family. Yeah, I have three sisters, um, Susan, Melody, and Kelly. You know, if my parents had had one more, then we could have had five, and I would have had four people to pass me the ball. But <laughs> as it turned out, I only had three. They were always most supportive as well. Two of them are still local, Melody and Kelly, and one lives in Rhode Island, Susan. So, um, yeah, blessed to have three great and awesome sisters. Well, they would have done the passing. You definitely would have done the shooting. So when you looked at your career in terms of uh, what you've done, uh, you know, number 11, can you can you put that in perspective for a minute? We're talking in the history of Virginia basketball to be ranked number 11 all time. Uh, that's got to be a badge of honor for you that has stood the test of time. I mean, you've gone all these years, 20-plus as a coach. We'll talk about that uh, as we go on. But to look back and say, man – Charles Oakley's played the NBA, some of the great names that have played in Virginia history, and you to be 11 just outside of the top 10. I mean, that's got to be something when you look back and say, man, I, I really not only put up some great numbers, but uh, did some really special things at the college ranks. Yeah, it makes you feel good. I mean, when you're reading all that stuff, you know, beforehand, I was like, you talking about me? Um, but, you know, I had great teammates. Uh, you know, I had a great coach. They put me in a position to succeed. I remember my freshman year, Coach Johnson used to have to get on me, you know, to shoot more. Um, you know, it's kind of hard when you're going as a freshman, you, you know, not trying to step on anybody's toes. And then, you know, I kind of got some confidence early and it kind of steamed from there. But um, especially my sophomore through my senior year, the talent level on the team really improved. I mean, my first year, we only won three games. And, um, 
my sophomore year, we were around 500, but we had a really good recruiting class. Coach Charlie Thomas got a lot of good recruits in there, and by the time I was a junior, we had we'd won the regular season outright. So we had a great improvement as a team. Which obviously, when you have when you're playing with better players, you know it helps you succeed as well. Uh, it was said, uh, kind of a legend, that you never missed a shot in the final moments of a game, that that was always when you were at your best, not only at the line, but uh, in the games themselves. When you look at your career, of course, your free throw shooting average of 85.9%, still a record today from a national perspective. What made you so great at the free throw line? What was it? Was it the focus? Was it the fact that the confidence? I mean, can you talk from a shooting perspective? What makes such a great free throw shooter? Well, you know, I played before, you know, everything was on the Internet. So that's true. I don't believe I ever missed a shot in the final minutes. <laughs> There's no tape to back it up. So we'll go with that. Okay. Right, so I, think, I think I was 100%. No, but, you know, that all just comes from confidence. I, I, if there's one thing I was always confident in, that was shooting a basketball. So, you know, in the final minutes of the game, whether it's from the field or from the free throw line, I always felt confident. I always wanted the ball. Um, I felt like if I could get a good shot off or, or get to the line, my, my chances were pretty good, and obviously that would help the team. When you look at uh, your career there, of course, you end up all-time leading scorer. And, uh, of course, you did, you went past Glenn Roberts, the guy that originated the jump shot. And his record stood in terms of scoring in Emory and Henry back to, I believe, 1931. So here you are, a young guy coming along, and, and you blasted his record. You went by him uh, leaps and bounds. I mean, when you look at that from a context standpoint, to have a guy uh, that you get there when, when you first get there in the '84 uh, season, and you end up beating a guy scoring wise by leaps and bounds that had been there in 1931, the all-time leading scorer, that's something you got to say, man, that's pretty special. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I didn't even realize he was the original of the jump shot, like a downer. I, I never really even heard of him. You know, obviously when you're 17, 18 years old, you really haven't heard of Glenn Roberts, but, you know, I found out when I got down there that this guy was really uh, an historical figure, not only for the for the college, but for the game itself. So, you know, that was quite an honor. Uh, I didn't really think about it all that much, you know, obviously when I was there, but, you know, looking back, that is, that is a pretty special moment for me. So you leave Emory and Henry, all-time leading scorer. You go on, you get drafted by the CBA, end up, in Birmingham, England. Uh, can you talk about your experience as a pro? And, of course, everybody aspires to get to the NBA, but playing professionally, uh, can you speak to that experience? Yeah, I I played for Birmingham, and basically the league that I played in, there were two American players on each team in the league, and I played with a guy that was from South Florida. So, you know, we were brought in basically – you know, to be honest, to score a lot of points. So, you know, we, we did that. Um, it was kind of hard being away, and but it wasn't, it wasn't a really good experience. You know, I was kind of in my post-collegiate career kind of a tweener. You know, I was in between like a, a two-guard and a small forward. I wasn't really big enough and tall enough to be a small forward, and 
my ball handling wasn't good enough to really be a two-guard. I mean, I always could shoot the ball. So, you know, that was the thing that was kind of holding me back to the next level. But, like I said, I wouldn't trade any of the experiences, you know, college, professionally, for anything. So, when you go from pro ball, you get done, you come back, and then you start as an assistant coach, you pay your dues, and then you get into the high school coaching. And right now, of course, uh, amidst the pandemic and the situation there, uh, we'll get into that a bit about the challenges you're facing. But when you first start as assistant coach and you get your own job, can you talk about that transition and uh, how hard it was going from assistant to head coach and then uh, how the experience has gone for you as a head coach? Yeah, you know, when I got done playing, you know, up to that point, everything had really been about, you know, besides going to school, about playing basketball. So when I got done playing, you know, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Took a little bit of time to figure that out, but I I, I did want to stay around the game, and coaching was going to provide an opportunity for me to do that. And I was lucky enough to hook up with Andy Gray, who I had played against actually in college. He played at Hampton Sydney College and around the same time I did, and he had just gotten a offer to be the head coach at Garfield High School. He was coming from Roanoke, where, where he was from. And he had been an assistant under a coach named Bull Pay, who's a legendary high school coach, most notably William Fleming in Roanoke. And um, you know, he, he got in contact with me. He saw my application I, and I applied to be a teacher and he saw my name and he, he asked the principal, is that the same Kevin Brown that played in Emory and Henry college? And he said, yeah. And so we met at a diner in Charlottesville, which was about a halfway point, And we hit it off right away. Um, I became an assistant for him and I quickly found out that, Playing was a whole different, you know, ball game than coaching. And I learned a lot under Andy. I was an assistant there for seven years uh, before I became a head coach. So, you know, it was a a transition that took some time. uh, But I studied the game from a coaching uh, aspect, which, like I said, was just, just totally different than playing. You know, you have so much control when you're playing coaching you know, you feel like you don't have, you know, as much control on the outcome of the game. And, of course, uh, you have had such a great uh, coaching career. We're going to talk about that. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Kevin Brown, of course, with the illustrious Hall of Fame career as a player, goes on to coach in the high school level. And, folks, a rare feat. He had not only one, but two future NFL players on the same team that he coached in basketball that these guys went on to NFL careers. We're going to talk to him about that experience. It's very unique, and you don't want to miss it as we return our conversation with the left-handed legend from Emory & Henry, Kevin Brown, on the Wednesday edition of the Sports King Show. Hi, this is number five, former Washington Capitals captain Rod Langway. And you are listening to Jamie King, the Sports King on Sports 106.1. Let's get back to the guy who said where there's a will, there's a relative. You're listening to Sports King right here on Sports 106.1. 
Wednesday edition of the Sports King Show. Heard internationally. London, England, hello. All across the United States and Facebook Live Sports 1061. All kinds of controversy coming up with our guest, Kevin Brown. There's controversy, and maybe we have to go to the phone, bring back Kevin Brown to figure this out. There is a Facebook posting by somebody named Melody Perry, you may or may not know, who went on record saying, ask him about the time his younger sister beat him in a game of horse. Is this fake news? Do you remember this? Are you talking to me? Yes, Kevin (laughs) Brown. I'm I'm asking you, left-hander, legend, did this happen? Fake news? Where are we at on this? Uh, you know, my sister is younger than me, but she might be losing some of her faculties because <laughs> I don't ever recall losing to her. Wow. So never happened. <laughs> it's a non-starter. No. Got it. No. Got it. Maybe, Absolutely. Maybe when, hey. she, maybe, maybe when she was sleeping and dreaming. <laughs> so it was a dream. Okay. Just one of those dream, one of those dream sequences. I got you. Hey, let's talk about your family. Of course, wife, Michelle. Of course, uh, your your son, uh, Lucas and Casey. Of course, Casey, the older, uh, an outstanding college student, um, one of the great minds out there. And Lucas, of course, uh, a tremendous athlete in his own right, went on to play for you. And, of course, some of the articles and stories we know well, of course, uh, uh, a lot of the kids from opposing uh, teams, uh, fans would always say, you know, who's your daddy and so forth and try to tease them along the way. Of course, he just recently got out of the hospital. We wish him well with a kidney ailment. And your wife, Michelle, who's been an outstanding source of support uh, throughout your career, always at the games. But when you look at uh, your boys and then Autumn, of course, coming up as a aspiring uh, volleyball player, a tremendous athlete in her own right. When you look at your family and a lot of the com- competition aspect, and of course, Luke is playing for you. That was a had it been a special time for a father and son in terms of watching his development. And at the same time, kind of tough because having set the standard for all the things you did, you never really talked about it. You wanted him to carve out his own way, but it had to have been a tough, tough thing for him to deal with, to be in that shadow, to try to come out of it. He did a great job but very tough experience for him uh coming up to follow in your in your shadow and in the way that he did yeah i mean it's always tough i think when you're when you're coaching your own child um a lot of times you tend to be harder on that person to set an example so i'm sure that was tough on him we didn't always see eye to eye as far as things, but I always always admired how hard he played the game. And he was a little bit undersized, but he he was pretty, pretty tough out there on the court, had a a great high school career. Um, And of course, you know, my oldest son succeeded well in college. I've got a daughter that's going to be a sophomore this year at Mountain View. She plays volleyball. And, you know, anybody who's had a family knows there's ups and downs and challenges, but, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, goes with the territory. And, and I love my family. I love my wife. Uh, and they've always been very supportive. And, uh, again, I wouldn't trade any of the experiences we've had uh, for anything. And when you look at uh, your your coaching career, getting back to that, of course, you were at Hilton and you had some great experiences there. Can you speak about this um to have one player come through that maybe is a heralded athlete to coach, uh, it doesn't happen all the time, but on one team you have Ahmad Brooks, the linebacker who went on to great things, uh, the Gatorade Player of the Year in football. He goes on to an outstanding career 
course, ends up in the NFL with the 49ers. And then, of course, Dion Butler goes on to have a great career at Penn State, then on to the Seattle Seahawks. To have two players in your starting lineup that go on to the NFL, can you speak to both of those young men, what they meant to your team, and what was the experience like coaching two future NFL players? Hilton was actually my second head coaching experience, and I was coming off a real successful year at my alma mater, and I got a call from Andy Gray, who I used to work for at Garfield, and he said that the Hilton job was opening up for basketball, and he said, you know, Kevin, they haven't had any success in basketball. I think the the most games they had won was six games but they were real successful in football, and he said they just have a lot of athletes, and he said, I think there's something that could be done there. So that piqued my interest. I went in for the interview, and like you said, Ahmad Brooks was going to be a senior um, the upcoming season. So one of the first questions I asked in the interview, I said, well, is Ahmad Brooks going to be playing basketball? And they said yes. So, of course, when I found that out, that kind of – sealed the deal because I knew he was a tremendous athlete. He was about 6'3", I don't know, 230, but he, you know, was just an incredible athlete. I mean, he was first in any type of sprinting that we would do and just a freak athlete, really strong, could jump out of the gym. Um, and he, he, unfortunately, he was gone on so many recruiting trips for football that he played, I think, in about a little bit over half of the games when I was there, but was just a, a, a tremendous impact player at the high school level for basketball, even though that wasn't his primary sport. And then Dion, Dion, I think, was a sophomore my first year at Hilton. And he had an older brother, Lee, that was a senior. And he ended up actually walking on at the University of Miami and played for Frank Hayes there. Uh, so he had a, a not only successful senior season, but obviously a great, you know, college experience. And then Dion, who was his younger brother, he was a little smaller than Lee. Lee was about six two, I think, and Dion was five ten, five and eleven. And Dion was an, another exceptional football player who walked on to Penn State and became the all-time leading receiver. Uh, from you know, from a walk-on standpoint, but on the basketball floor for me, you know, he was really my floor general. He was the point guard on the team. wasn't the greatest shooter um, <laughs> from from the outside, but man, he could run a team, and he was just a terror on the defensive end, but extremely fast and quick. And you know, he was he was a big big reason we made it to the um, state final four um, while we were there. Did it surprise you with either one of them? Of course, Brooks was uh, many labeled can't miss guy at the next level to see him do what he did with the 49ers. And then, of course, Dion with the Seahawks. Did either one of their successes surprise you and what they developed into at the next level? Well, I wouldn't say surprise. I mean, Ahmad was always just just a freak physical specimen. So I knew he he was probably going to do something you know, at the next level for football. Dion, you know, Dion wasn't that big. I mean, he was 5'10", 5'11", I think, in high school. And probably when he was in high school, I would say weighed 165, 170. But, you know, he put on some weight 
when he was uh, at Penn State. And, you know, it's a tribute to him because he just worked his butt off. And, like I said, you go from a walk-on to all-time leading receiver and then playing in the NFL. Now, he, you know, he, he had some speed. So, uh, but, you know, he, he, was, he was incredible as well. So, I mean, if I had to pick a surprise out of the two, I probably would say it's Dion, but really shouldn't be a surprise because of his work ethic. Can you speak about, and I know your parents stressed to all of your sisters, yourself, the academic side of things, and, and you were stellar in that regard. Can you speak about that to our listeners, uh, parents, and, and kids alike in terms of uh, the dedication and, and how important it is on the grade side? Because so many athletes uh, at times think, hey, if I could just do it on the court, you know, uh, somebody's going to notice me and I'm going to get there. And the first thing, having worked with so many kids through the years, you always get that question, how are the grades? How are they as a person? Uh, you know, how are they in terms of overall community and so forth? But uh, first and foremost, it's done in the classroom where you excelled. Can you talk about that from a coaching perspective in terms of how you work with your athletes and how you are, were told coming up about the importance of academics and the role it played in your career, not only at high school level, but at the college level as well? Well, we always tell our players that you know the better your grades are, the more windows of opportunity will open up if you want to pursue something that's at the next level. So you're right. I always took a lot of pride and um, determination in, you know, my grades, but, you know, really just learning. You know, I, I took a lot of responsibility for my own learning. I still learn to this day. Um, but like you said, some of these kids have tunnel vision and just focus in on the sports. And I remember going, I don't remember who it was, but I went to a camp one time and uh, one of the speakers there had a basketball and he dropped it and it bounced and bounced and finally stopped. And he said, you know, guys, at some point in your life, that ball is going to stop bouncing and you're going to have to have something to fall back on. And I always remember that and try to convey that to my players that, you know, it's not, you're not always going to be able to uh, play the sport that you love and your grades are something that will you know carry on for the rest of your life. You went uh, from Hilton, of course. You went to your alma mater, North Stafford. Uh, then you go to Mountain View. You've been back and forth. Of course, you stayed in Mountain View the longest now. Uh, and you haven't had uh, what I would call a ton of big-time recruits come through, but you've been able to take players that – Many felt uh, were good players, and some of them became great players under your tutelage. And you've been to uh, states uh, and so forth with groups of kids that just overachieved and just worked so hard. You had to take a lot of pride from where these kids out in the country basically come together. And sometimes without a lot of herald of guys in the lineup, you're able to get maximum results. Is that uh, one of the things you're most proud of throughout your coaching career? Yeah, I've had a great experience at Mountain View. Um, I think um, I'm losing track now, but I think coming up, this is going to be my 15th year as the head coach. And, you know, any coach will tell you, you have to have good players to be successful. And, you know, a lot of people will say, well, maybe we haven't had the talent, but, you know, we've had some guys, you know, the Mosley boys, you know, Nate Slagle, um, that have, that, that really set the tone as far as the program's concerned, but they were really good ball players. I mean, they worked hard. Um, they maximized 
what they could get out of their talent. And, you know, we, we try to teach our current players some of those habits and, and, and work ethic, uh, you know, to help them succeed as well. Uh, just handed me a note moments ago, the Virginia High School League has called off football in the fall. And you being a basketball coach, uh, this just came down. Virginia High School League presented its executive committee with three models for restarting sports and activities amid the coronavirus pandemic. None of the models included playing football this fall. So with no potential high school football, that just coming down moments ago, uh, it's not official. There may be some models that could change. Let me ask you this. With basketball and the offing, of course, March Madness was canceled. We're all disappointed we never got to see a national champion there in terms of crowning of one. And now with football potentially being canceled now for the Virginia High School League, looking at basketball next, uh, where do you come down on this? Of course, it's unprecedented times, but what are you hearing from the basketball front for yourself and your team? Uh, is it too early at this point, or are you hearing anything from anybody? Well, I know the VHSL was meeting today at 9 a.m., so I think that's what you're probably referring to. And I know that I have a meeting scheduled tomorrow for 11 a.m. with my athletic administration as far as, um, you know, updates. And I know that they were hoping to start some sort of workouts July 20th. Um, We had to submit a plan to the county for extracurricular activities, but you know as well as I do that this thing is dragging out, and it seems like every time they meet, things just keep getting pushed back. So I'm not real optimistic. Uh, I, you know, the revised workouts for basketball that I saw through the VHSL was, you know, if you do have workouts, you could have no more than 10 people, and each person had to have had to have their own basketball. No passing, <laughs> you know. So you know, pretty much they can do that at home. So, you know, I'm not real optimistic. I, I guess I'll find out some more tomorrow. But like you said, you know, I'm not really shocked that they have at least postponed the football. I know there was some talk before about pushing all the sports back till a, a December start and having like two-month seasons for each of the typical fall, winter, and spring sports. So run through like, you know, December through, I think, June. So I know there was also some talk talk of flipping football to the spring and, uh, you know, maybe playing some sports that you could uh, get away with. But uh, I don't know. It's It's just a big mess. Our special guest, Kevin Brown, Emory & Henry College's all-time leading scorer, number 11 all-time in terms of basketball scoring in the entire state of Virginia in the history of college athletics uh, in terms of Virginia basketball, 11 ranked overall. Uh, when you look back at your career, let's go back there from a playing perspective. Is there one game, because uh, I would hear different uh, college coaches and read things about, hey, we would – train all month long on a box in one or something to take away what he did best. And he still came out and scored 40 points or 45 points. And you had a tear there. I believe it was a two or three week period where you doing in the high forties and just uh, setting the world on fire. Is there one game or one achievement from a basketball perspective uh, as a player that stands out above all of them to you? Well, 
You know, I, I think I scored 47 in a game um, at Emory, and that was probably, I think, the most points I scored in a game, uh, high school, college, or pro. But I think my favorite memory as far as a player was my senior year at North Stafford, and we were tied in the regular season with James Wood, who used to be in the Commonwealth District, and we had a, a playoff at a neutral site. I think it was at, I think I want to say it was at Woodbridge High School. But anyhow, um, it was just one of those nights, especially the first half, where I felt like I couldn't miss. I think I I made my first 12 shots. And, you know, back then we didn't have a three-point line. Um, and I hit my first 12 shots in the first half. And I, I think the only shot I missed was right at the end of the first half when I chucked one up from half court at the buzzer. So I was really feeling good, and, and I continued that in the second half. And we ended up, I think I had close to 40 of that game, and we, we ended up winning that game in double overtime. And, and I just remember the sheer joy and excitement of winning that district championship and uh, the way that it all went down. I mean, I had a great game. It was a great you know, team and experience. And, you know, I still have some guys that we still talk about that to this day. So I'd say that was probably my greatest playing experience. And one of those, Mike Neville, who was there calling that game, uh, said to me, called me and said, hey, that particular game, you missed one shot in that game. And it was from half court, as you said, and that shot went in and out and almost went in. And he said that the thing that he remembered from that particular game was every shot was pretty much 30 feet or beyond and like you say there could have been a lot of three-pointers that night and of course the legend grows uh, as it goes through the years but one of the great shooting nights of all time a double overtime victory and when you look at that special moment and of course all the time at Emory uh, under the great Bob Johnson and uh, the things you learned from him and you've been around a lot of great coaches uh, what's the thing that you try to do the most from a coaching perspective? I know you're not only concerned about young men as basketball players. You try to develop their character as well. What's the thing you take the most pride in in terms of development of the young men you work with? Well, you know, it's it's always a great feeling as a coach when you can develop great team chemistry. And, it, and, it, and that's really tough to do. And all my successful teams that I've had there have had that. And, you know, I think that's probably the thing I take the most joy in is when you see guys on your team that bond and put the team over themselves. And, and like I said, it doesn't happen every year, but the special years, that is certainly the case. Um, as far as from a coaching standpoint, I think the biggest challenge is, and it's getting harder every year, is to try to get these players out of their comfort zone because all of these guys – and not only on the court. I mean, they're they're capable of doing so much more than they think they can. And learning to try to figure out how to communicate to them and, and get them to do that and push the right buttons, that's always the biggest challenge as a coach. Well, right now, as we said, do you feel as a coach that there will be a basketball season coming up uh, when the season comes back around, or do you think it will be delayed based on what you know right now? Based on what I know and feel at this point in time, I don't think there's any way it's going to happen. Uh, you know, normally we start practice first week, second week in November, and we start playing games, you know, that first week in December. So uh, I don't see that happening. I'm optimistic that 
they can work out something where everything gets pushed back. And even though it may be an abbreviated season, you know, maybe just district games or whatnot, um, I'm optimistic that hopefully that, you know, whether it's end of this year or beginning of next year, that, that that'll get done. But like I said, at this point, nothing, nothing would surprise me. Kevin, we can't thank you enough for joining us this morning. Of course, uh, legendary career at Emory and Henry at North Stafford at Emory and Henry and on to the uh, pro ranks and then uh, an outstanding career as a coach, a body of work that has been tremendous in every way, shape, or form, the class you've carried yourself with, and, of course, all the young men that you've mentored through the years. You've done an amazing job at not only the coaching level but all the camps and all the things you do, and uh, we can't thank you enough for joining us. Wish you the best of luck when things get started again, and uh, as always, uh, to be on the list of the top 11 of all time. I mean, what an achievement that was. Of course, your jersey retired and the o Dak, uh, all-time leading scorer as well. My friend, you've had a body of work that uh, everybody that's ever played basketball would be proud to have. Congratulations on your career and all the great things you've done as a head coach, and thank you for joining us this morning on the Sports King Show. Jamie, thank you so much for having me on, and I just wanted everybody to know that uh, what a great job you're doing, and I appreciate you and, and your friendship and, and everything uh, all through the years, and I love you, brother. Love you too, my man. Kevin Brown, the left-hander from Stafford County who did so many great things, still continues to do them. Great family and a guy that is always led by example, a leader in the community and a guy that we're so proud of for all he did. And I always felt, had he had that one extra year of development, as he said, maybe he would have went right to the NBA. Who knows? Uh, but uh, what a great career. And we are going to take a time out. We, we thank Kevin for joining us, and we'll be right back to close it out on this Wednesday morning edition of the Sports King Show. Hi, this is number 65, defensive tackle Dave Butts, two-time Super Bowl champion of the Washington Redskins, and you are listening to the Sports King Show with host Jamie King on Sports 106.1. Hi, I'm Tim Cosgrove, President and General Manager at CMA's Colonial Honda. Our goal has always been to make the car buying process easy, so when we couldn't serve you in person, we found a different solution. CMA's Easy Purchase. It's simple. All you have to do is head to cmascolonialhonda.com, select your vehicle, secure your financing, value your trade-in, and select the delivery location. CMA's Colonial Honda. Owners just do more. Visit cmascolonialhonda.com. Coastal Carolina University offers you the academic experiences you need to succeed after college. From marine science to computer science, from theater to music technology, from hospitality management to health administration, there is a place for you at Coastal Carolina University. With inspired learning opportunities in the classroom, in the field, online, and around the world, Coastal Carolina offers the opportunities to support and empower your success. Visit coastal.edu to learn more. Want to reach the Sports King? Call 804-327-0888. That's 804-327-0888. Learn it. Know it. Live it. And welcome back, everyone. Wednesday morning edition of the Sports King. Thank you for joining us. Facebook Live. Thank you, Sports 106.1. Have some news for you that could be happening any day now. We're waiting to hear... If you heard earlier this week, Blue Lou Marini from the Blues Brothers, who was on this very show, heard from Blue Lou yesterday, and he said, guess who I'm trying to get on your show? I said, who, Blue Lou? 
None other than Wonder Woman herself. Linda Carter could be a guest on the Sports King. Wouldn't that be nice? I remember back in the day, Linda Carter, the golden lasso. Ben, did I ever tell you this one? Just a bit outside. Well, I won't, I won't go there. Anyway, Linda Carter, lovely woman, beautiful. Uh, you know, all of the uh, high school kids of a certain age, uh, young men, had a crush on uh, Wonder Woman. And he's also trying to get uh, James Taylor. I've seen fire and I've seen rain up on a roof. You I've cannot be serious. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to do that to you. I'm not going to ruin the songs. Anyway. James Taylor, how would that be? The Sports King and James Taylor conversing. I mean, Ben, this is fluid stuff we're talking about. Going to Carolina in my mind. Sweet Baby James. All those great hits. James Taylor. Then maybe Carly Sign. No, I better not go there. Anyway, we want to go to our own Ben Maitland at Sports King headquarters. Sports King Sports Desk. He's there. He's got this live update in regards to the Virginia High School League. Ben, take it away. Yeah, Jamie, you and um, Kevin referenced this during your conversation. This came out a little bit earlier this hour uh, from Lane Casadante, longtime sports director and anchor uh, at CBS 6 here in Richmond. Uh, for the first time in perhaps anyone's memory, reading this verbatim from Lane's Twitter account, there will be no high school football sponsored by the VHSL this fall. There are three models that are going to be voted on uh, here before the end of the month. I believe July 27th is the date when you can expect a vote to happen uh, on what's going to happen for for, uh, for fall sports across the VHSL this, uh, this year. Model 1 uh, for the 2020 season has only golf and cross country in the fall, all other fall sports canceled. Not a great model, if you ask me and ask anybody. Model 2 has spring sports except lacrosse being shifted to the fall and vice versa. Model 3 is likely the one most people would would want to have happen. Model 3 has all sports played in truncated seasons from December 14th of this year to June 26th of 2021. Winter sports would go from December 14th to February 20th under this plan. Fall sports would be held from February 15th of next year to May 1st. And then spring sports would be held last April 12th through June 26th. I know that's a lot to run through, and certainly there's a lot of information available now on uh, Twitter. If you go to Lane Lane's Twitter account at Lane CTV Sports, um, has got some information there. Has got uh, all the models laid out on his Twitter account. And um, if you go around and search for what's going to happen with the VHSL, even just do a Google search, you're you're bound to run across this and look it up for yourself. So that's the three models that'll be voted on before the end of the month, and we'll see what happens. I want to thank Ben Maitland for that breaking news. Thank you, Ben. Also want to let you know that uh, this is no joke down in Orlando. They have a tip line, folks, for NBA players that are going outside of the bubble. There is a hotline for people. If you see an NBA player, if you call the hotline, and the hotline's been lighting up, if a player goes outside the bubble to get something to eat, goes on a ride, goes to a bar, goes anywhere outside of the bubble, There is a hotline to turn them in, and I guess maybe even a reward, but uh, right now they say the hotline has been lighting up because, uh, of course, two players were quarantined after going out just to get some food. So when they say you're in the bubble, you're in the bubble. You can't leave. And now, as they say, snitches get stitches. And, uh, of course, some NBA players are not happy with the situation down in Orlando because they are being ratted out at uh, every turn in terms of if they leave. So that's the situation there. Hey, we want to thank all of our sponsors. Of course, 
uh, CMA Colonial Honda, the Nerve Corporation. We want to thank uh, Joe Moglia in Coastal Carolina and Dr. Paul Ross and the Podiatry Center in Bethesda, Maryland, Springfield, Virginia. Most of all, we want to thank you. We want to thank our special guests, Kevin Brown, the head coach at Mountain View High School, and Emery and Henry's all-time leading scorer, and a guy that has put up some great numbers historically and also continues to do it as a coach as well. And I want to thank Ben. I want to thank all of you. Of course, uh, it all starts here tomorrow morning with Big Al from 8 to 10 live. We're on after that, 10 to 12. And immediately following that, they go out to the jungle in Los Angeles. Jim Rome show with a guest host this week. And uh, that's going to wrap it up uh, for the Wednesday edition. We'll see you back tomorrow. For Ben, I'm Jamie. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you Thursday for the next edition of the Sports King Show.